Welcome to episode 125 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for May 19th, 2009. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. In this week's episode of the Fredcast, the return of Yehuda Moon. Four, count them, four product recalls. Lots of Giro d'Italia news, including Pedro Jurillo's crash, the Milan protest, and a sad day when a moto photo driver dies prior to the stage. Also, tax on the road halt a UK cycling event. Following the news, our continuation of our interview with Graham Street answering your questions about climbing and an interview with Bike Pure. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike, hammer just a little bit harder because here comes the Fredcast. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Fredcast. Great to have you with us. We've got a great show lined up for you. It is that time of the year. Grand Tours are here. It's great. But first, before we get to the news and all of our features, I do want to thank our show sponsor, Graham Street and Cyclo Club. You heard Graham last week answering your questions about climbing and the number of emails and Twitter messages I've gotten from you. It is clear that you believe that Graham can offer you some value. And if that's the case, well, it's time for you to sign up for Cyclo Club. Go to www.thefredcast.com and click that banner at the top of the page. Make sure you do that. Instead of going directly to Graham's site, make sure you give a little bit of credit to the Fredcast. But when you do, you will be getting all of Graham's great content available online 24-7. And if you want to improve your climbing, well, there's two ways to do that with Graham. One way would be to buy his climbing power pack. You could get that whole thing for $99 plus free shipping, or you could just spend $99.95 per year and get everything streaming on your computer 24-7. His Cyclo Climb Tuscany DVD, his Cyclo Zen Training DVD, his Cyclo Spin Classes, giving you climbing technique, plus over 80 other cycling workouts, expert nutrition secrets, forums, blogs, endless beginner, avid, and advanced seven-day training formats, and much, much more. Why wouldn't you sign up for Cyclo Club today? You're going to get climbing and a whole lot more 24-7. And you'll get the opportunity to interact with other everyday cyclists just like you and me. Go to www.thefredcast.com and click the Cyclo Club link at the top of the page. We thank Graham and Cyclo Club for their support. And we thank you for signing up for Cyclo Club. Well, topping off the news for this week is a little bit of good news for those of you who are Yehuda Moon fans. Now, you'll recall that we interviewed Yehuda Moon's creator, Rick Smith, here on the Fredcast a number of episodes ago. And you'll also recall that we've been talking about the fact that, well, Yehuda Moon took a little bit of a hiatus. Remember the last comic strip that Rick did, Yehuda riding his single speed and saying, this looks like a good place to stop for a while. He puts down his kickstand, he walks away, and you just see the bike in the bike basket sitting there waiting for Yehuda to come back. Well, on June 17, 2009, Yehuda will return to the kickstand cyclery, and all of your favorite Yehuda Moon characters, the dailies will run Monday through Saturday 
featuring Yehuda and the entire gang at the Kickstand Cyclery. Plus, a fuller Sunday strip is also going to start to run as well, and that will feature Joe King. So look for Yehuda Moon to come back. You can find him at YehudaMoon.com or check out the link in the show notes or in the Enhanced Podcast. Good news for those of us who are Yehuda Moon fans. Next up in our news, hang on to your hats because I've got four, count them, four product recalls for you. The first starting with folding bikes. These are 2008 model year Dahan and REI Novara folding bikes. And there are about 11,500 of these bikes brought into the United States. And the problem here is that the hinge on the handlebar post can crack, posing a fall hazard. And there have been 25 reports of the handle post hinge on those bikes cracking, including one minor injury involving scrapes and bruises. Now, this recall involves, again, 2008 Tahan and REI Novara folding bikes. And the models include the Chow P8, Curve D3, Curve SL, Glide P8, Jetstream P8, Mariner D7, Mu P8, Mu P24, Mu SL, Mu XL Sport, Vitez D7HG, Speed D7, Speed P8, Speed TR, Speed Pro TT, and the REI Novara Buzz Flyby and Flyby Shuttle. In other words, Dahan or Novara and the model name are printed on the bike and the hinges with an R embossed on the face of the upper handle post hinge and or a radius handle post sticker are not included in the recall. These were sold by authorized Dahan California dealers and REI stores nationwide from March 2008 through April 2009 for between $430 and $1,300. As always, stop using the bikes immediately consult your dealer, and for more information, I do have links in the show notes to where you can find the recall site specific to this recall on the CPSC's website as well as on the Dahan website. Now, the next product recall I have for you concerns Trek and Cannondale bikes, and they're very similar, so listen up. The first is for Trek 7300 and 7500 bikes from model year 2009. There are about 16,000 of these out in the wild. The problem here is a product made by JD Components, and this is the bike fork. It can lose alignment, causing the front wheel to turn unexpectedly, obviously causing you to lose control of the bike and crash. And There have been four reports of misaligned forks on the Trek bikes. No injuries have been reported. Again, this involves model year 2009 Trek 7300, 7300 WSD, that's the women's specific model, and the 7500 bikes. And the model name is printed on the bike's frame, and they have a suspension fork with the words Bontrager, S as in Sam, P as in Papa, A as in Alpha, SPA, printed on them. And these were sold nationwide from August 2008 through April 2009 for about $640 to $940. Again, on Trek, I have a link to the CPSC site as well as the Trek recall on the show notes. Cannondale, very similar situation. The recalled bike's forks can lose alignment, causing the front wheel to turn unexpectedly, and they can cause the rider to lose control of the bike and crash, 
Now, when it comes to the Cannondale bikes, there have been no reports of injury. And this recall involves model year 2008 Cannondale Adventure 2, Adventure 3, Adventure 2 Feminine, and Adventure 3 Feminine bikes. And the model name is printed on the bike's frame, and the bikes have a suspension fork with the words Cannondale AT35 Adventure Trail printed on them. Bikes equipped with the RockShox iRide fork are not included in the recall. These were sold through Cannondale dealers from February 2009 through April 2009 for between $600 and $800. And again, there is a link in the show notes to the CPSC. And by the way, CPSC is Consumer Products Safety Commission to that website where you can find more information on the recall. Finally, one more recall for you tonight. This one is from Norco Performance Bikes of British Columbia, Canada. This involves about 3,600 Norco bike frames. The problem here is that the frame can crack and separate, causing a rider to fall from the bike and suffer injuries. Now, Norco has received one report of a rider who fractured their collarbone after falling off their bike. Now, the recalled bike frames include the following model year and model names, 2007 Team DH, 2008 Team DH, Align Park, Align, Atomic, Shore 1, 2, 3, 2009 Atomic without gussets, and all colors of all of those frames are included in the recall, and the model name is printed on a decal on the top tube of each frame. These were sold at various bike bicycle dealers nationwide from December 2006 through February 2009 for between $2,000 and $7,000. As always, stop using your bike immediately. Contact your local Norco dealer or Norco directly. And again, there are links in the show notes to where you can find the CPSC's information and Norco's information. So go to www.thefredcast.com, click that show notes link. Tonight's show is show number 125. Well, when we last met here on the Fredcast, we had gone through stage four of the centenary edition of the Giro d'Italia. A couple of you had asked me how it could be the centenary edition, but not the 100th episode of the Giro d'Italia, and it's quite simple. The Giro was interrupted during the war years in World Wars One and World War Two, but because of the fact that the Giro started exactly 100 years ago, this is the centenary edition. So that's a really great question. Thanks for asking. Now, we were through stage four, and today we completed stage 10. Stage 10 was the longest in the entire three-week race at 262 kilometers and included a very steep climb to the ski resort of Sestriere. Today's stage was won by... Malia Rosa wearer Danilo De Luca from Italy and Team LPR in 6 hours, 30 minutes, and 43 seconds. Second place going to Franco Pelizzotti from Team Likigas, 10 seconds back. At the same time, in third place was Dennis Menshov and Carlos Sastre. Fifth place went to David Arroyo from Castaparna, 26 seconds back of De Luca. Sixth to Maurizio Soler from Team Barlow World, 29 seconds back. And in the same time were seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth place Ivan Basso, Levi Leipheimer, Joaquin Rodriguez, and Michael Rogers. Overall, in the general classification still in the Malia Rosa is Danilo De Luca from Team LPR in 44 hours and 11 seconds. 
Second place right now, one minute and 20 seconds back, is Dennis Menshov from Rabobank. In third place, Michael Rogers from Team Columbia, 133 back. In fourth, from the United States and Team Astana, it's Levi Leipheimer, one minute, 40 seconds back. In fifth, it's Franco Pelizotti from Team Likigas, one minute, 53 seconds back. In sixth place, and one minute, 54 seconds behind Danilo De Luca, it's Carlos Sastre from Team Cervelo. In seventh, Ivan Basso from Likigas, two minutes, three seconds back. Currently sitting in eighth place, it's Thomas Lokvist from Sweden and Team Columbia High Road, two minutes, 12 seconds behind Danilo De Luca. 2.35 back in ninth place, it's David Arroyo from Spain and Castaparna. And in 10th place, it's Gilberto Simoni from Team Dicqui Giovanni, two minutes, 58 seconds back. A lot of folks are wondering, where is Lance Armstrong? Lance is 5 minutes 28 seconds back at the present time, sitting in 18th place. And the fastest man in the world, Mark Cavendish, is sitting in 161st place from Team Columbia, 1 hour 47 minutes and 59 seconds behind Danilo De Luca. At this point, you can tell that the GC is actually quite tight even as we enter into the second week of racing. As a matter of fact, this is what Lance said was the beginning of the real Giro. He said that in Twitter earlier this week. Actually said that on the race day yesterday. The day to watch will be Thursday, May the 21st, when there's the individual time trial from Sestri Levanti to Rio Maggiore. 60.6 kilometers is a long individual time trial. And there's a lot of riders who are looking at racing this not on those sleek aerodynamic time trial bikes, but instead on normal road bikes. And the reason for that is because of the twisting descents and the climbs that you're going to find on this nearly 61-kilometer course. There's a lot of folks who feel that this individual time trial does favor Levi Leipheimer and might allow him to catapult into the Malia Rosa. It's going to be, be a very interesting day. Thursday does seem to be one of those days that could decide the 2009 100th anniversary edition of the Giro d'Italia. Now, over the last week or so, there have been some memorable moments besides the racing that's been going on out on the road. One of those was in stage eight, when Spain's Pedro Jorio had to be taken to the hospital by helicopter after he plummeted down into a ravine during a very difficult descent. Now, Jorio is not known for his climbing abilities, and as a result, he was between the main group and the Gruppetto. The Gruppetto is normally that group that forms at the back of the peloton. Some of the sprinters and the less capable climbers in the group who end up falling way behind in a very difficult climbing stage. Well, he was between those two groups. So the caravan had raced past Horio, and there were the secondary caravan cars that were following the Gruppetto. So it was sort of in this no man's land. Nobody saw what happened, but it appears that he, as he was going down, perhaps his rear wheel dished out and he was catapulted off the bike. And the only indication that there was that Jorio had gone off this cliff was the fact that his bike was sitting by the side of the road. And rescuers had to put on mountain climbing gear in order to go about 200, 250 feet down this ravine to find him. He was then taken by helicopter to the hospital, put into an induced coma, and then he was awoken from that coma. 
among his injuries. Well, originally they feared that he might have some brain damage, but it looks like he's going to be okay. But among his injuries, a broken right femur, right knee, and several ribs. He also had trauma to his throat and at least two fractured vertebrae, including one in his neck. But it looks like, as Lance said a few days ago, that Pedro will be back to race another day, and that is good news. Now, another memorable moment came the next day on stage nine, which was supposed to be a circuit race, almost a criterium around the streets of Milan. Now, Milan is traditionally where the Giro d'Italia ends its three-week odyssey, but this year it was going to conclude the first week of the Giro with this race around the streets of Milan. Now, the riders had been complaining about the dangerous nature of the race, including, as you could tell, the day before with Pedro Jarillo's crash, and they were also upset about the course going around Milan, specifically uh, cars that were parked on the race course, poor marshalling of the spectators, and also trolley tracks, which, and I've seen differing reports, either went parallel to the course or were perpendicular to the course. Either way, the riders determined that the race course was dangerous. The race organizers deciding to neutralize the results, meaning that there could be no changes in the general classification as a result of the day's race. However, despite that, the riders decided to take it extremely easy. And as a result, that day's racing, for the most part, just looked like a series of parade laps around the streets of Milan. The spectators didn't look too happy. Finally, somebody went to the front, perhaps on the orders of team directors, and actually put on a race. Now, From my perspective, if this race course really was that dangerous uh, and if they needed to go this slowly, then those last several laps where they were going quite fast indeed almost proved that the course wasn't as dangerous as it appeared or perhaps the riders were just trying to make a protest for the previous few days and make a protest long enough to last where it would make an impression on the race organizers. Despite that, however... Lance Armstrong and Yvonne Basso specifically were skewered in the press in a variety of different comments. Angelo Zomegnin, one of the race organizers, was extremely brazen in his comments. He said the following, Over the last few days, there have been text messages going back and forth between the riders about the danger of the last few finishes. What happened in Milan was a pretext. Armstrong had sent me emails saying that the riders were having to take too many risks. He was instrumental in this protest. He came looking for me during the race. I spoke to Bruniel, and everything seemed to be sorted. But there's a certain age at which your legs start to get shorter and your tongue longer. Gazzetto dello Sport in an editorial said, quote, Without passion, cycling, sport, and maybe life are nothing. And whoever brings their passion to within breathing distance of the riders of the Giro d'Italia has rights that were violated yesterday. The Milan circuit wasn't a dangerous race. Anyone who rides a bike for a living knows that racing on the roads of the world is a complicated profession. But the overwhelming majority of the races on the calendar are at least, if not more, dangerous than yesterday's. The riders have rights too, and they're sacrosanct. But you can't rip the soul out of cycling. In an editorial, the magazine Il Giornale said, quote, a slap in the face for Milan, a hundred years later. Here the Giro was born, and here the Giro gets stabbed in the back. A villainous ambush on the day of big celebration. And behind it all, in front of the thousands of incredulous, stunned spectators, are the riders. 
if I still call them that. It's purely out of convention for ease of expression. Ideally, they're no longer worthy of that name. They should go into hiding after the obscenity they committed yesterday. Dear Diary, with utter disgust, I'll sum up what happened yesterday. The Mademoiselles of the Peloton, incited by an old-age pensioner who goes by the name of Lance Armstrong, decide to race a non-race. The Texan slipper seller, who's clearly come to Italy for a holiday, has been sowing seeds for days. He fires up younger colleagues, writes provocative messages on his website, sends threatening messages to race organizers. He doesn't like the finishes. He doesn't like the descents. Now, he doesn't even like the flat parts. It's now clear to everyone how the decision to invite him to the Giro has become a terrible boomerang. Initially, he kept the media hype thumping, helping to fill the pink-tinted roads with people. But now, he's turning into a pain in the foot. Nice work. They already designed a course of a lifetime for him, tailored to his rehabilitation, abolishing all the real mountains so he doesn't have to make any violent efforts. And now, they even have to put up with his senile moods. I mean, these editorials are skewering Lance Armstrong. Even Mario Cipollini went on to say, quote, What happened yesterday is absurd, a total disgrace. Was the circuit dangerous? Not at all. It was a good circuit. If you want to be pedantic, there were two critical points, but only two. The first with tram tracks, but going across the road, not in the same direction as the race. And the second, an S-bend. What are we now saying, that you can't ride an S-bend on a bike? I really hope that the riders didn't see this as an opportunity to have two rest days instead of one. Yep, because on that course, they had to lift their backside off the saddle and accelerate at regular intervals. And I'd really like to think that safety concerns were all that was behind the protest and not in the shadows, someone manipulating the riders to other ends. Now, so far, all of these commenters, and by the way, I'm getting these quotes from Bike Radar, who did a great job putting together all of these quotes. All of the aforementioned quotes were from the press or from people who weren't riding. Let's hear what the guys who were riding had to say. Danilo DeLuca said, quote, We saw the course and decided that it wasn't suitable. So we told the organizers, and they neutralized the race. We thanked them. Then the sprinters started asking why SGC riders were going to be safe and not them. They said they didn't want to sprint. So at that point, we stopped to explain to the public why we weren't going to race, and we apologized. Then, as always happens in cycling, someone went to the front and started upping the pace, and the stage ended in a sprint. Cipollini's the last who should open his mouth. When Cipollini was racing, he was always the first to go to the front and act like the boss to get his stage canceled or to make everyone go slowly up a climb. I think he's already forgotten when he was a rider. Meanwhile, Michael Rogers from Team Columbia High Road said, When we started the race, some cars were parked on the roadside. We wanted to protect our health. It might have been boring for the spectators to watch for a while, but the end, it was still a fantastic race. This was a group decision and a message to race organizers in general. They need to guarantee our safety. At the end of the day, no one wants to see us crashing. Filippo Pizzato from Team Katusha said, After the first lap, we were all a bit miffed. Lance then went to the front and said that, in his opinion, it wasn't a circuit to race on. Then the GC guys all talked, and they came to a decision. We were all united, but I think it was the wrong decision in the end. The course should have been looked and discussed before the race. In the end, it was all a big mess. Luca Mazzanti from Katusha said, I saw that the big-name riders came to an agreement amongst themselves. We wanted to race. 
Johnny Savio from Dequa Giovanni had to say, and this is the team manager, cycling's a masochistic sport. Even if you consider all the mitigating factors, the riders made a grave error. Well, there was a lot of talk in the press. There was a lot of talk among the riders. And then the next day, on the rest day, both Lance Armstrong and Ivan Basso came out apologizing for what happened. In a video on his website, Lance said, we didn't feel the conditions were safe. He said, it's an unfortunate situation, an accumulation of days and days of frustration, and I think fear on a lot of people's parts. And then this war of words and this war of power afterwards that we have to avoid. He said, I think the real point here, and I think that the point that we as riders would like to get across is that we're sorry about that. It wasn't an ideal outcome. Nobody was happy with that. He then said that he felt that the protest was over, quote, an accumulation of dangerous finishes. He said, but I think that Pedro Jorillo's crash was something that was fresh in everyone's mind. We nearly lost him that day. The facts are the facts, and it took them 20 minutes to find him when he fell off that cliff. Thank God he's fine, and he's going to live to ride another day. Other stages had unlit tunnels, dangerous downhills. Can you imagine going into a tunnel at 50 miles per hour with no lights? That's crazy. He said, we absolutely have to have a fully independent riders organization that represents our interests. So if there are going to be circuits or there are going to be finishes that we as riders get to have the right to say that this is safe or this is not safe or this will do or this we won't do without an organization that represents our voices as a unified front, not a splintered front, we will have this problem forever. Ivan Basso said, I think all 200 riders looked at themselves in the mirror last night and starting tomorrow, you're going to see quality racing again. He said, but I think we need to apologize for the fans. I'm coming off a very rough time and I'm trying to do something good for cycling. So I realize, of course, I've just spent a lot of time talking about this, but the reason is I wanted you to see all sides of this situation, the press and the fans and the riders themselves. It seems that the riders feel that they had a legitimate beef. Um, maybe they felt that they got a little bit caught up in the moment, perhaps. At least that's what it sounds like by listening to Basso's comments. Nevertheless, I think that there must have been some concerns here on the riders' part. I don't think that they were just, as was commented, taking an extra rest day. These are professionals after all, and that's not something that they're about to do. They must have had some concerns. Did it disappoint the fans? Yes. And whether that was the fans on site or even those of us who were watching it on TV, sure. But at the end of the day, none of us want to see accidents like what happened to Pedro Jorio or any of the other horrific accidents that we've seen in professional cycling. And if this can help open people's eyes to the possibility that they may need to take a more careful look at these race courses to keep the racers safe, well, I'm all for that. Before we move on, two more interesting incidents from the Giro d'Italia. The first, sad, and the second, a sad sign of the times. Today, on his way to cover stage 10 of the Giro d'Italia, Fabio Saccani, who is one of the moto photo drivers. He drives one of those motorcycles that carries the photographers around on the race course. He died in a motorcycle accident on his way to today's stage 10. He had an accident with a truck driver and he died. Uh, according to Lance Armstrong in his Twitters, uh, Fabio was a really good friend and somebody who was a cancer survivor and uh, everyone at the race was saddened by it. 
And tomorrow, before the start of the 11th stage, from Turin to Aranzano, they will observe a moment of silence for Fabio Saccani. And finally, in a sad sign of the times, you remember me telling you last week that Team Astana has had some financial difficulties, including having trouble paying the staff, and they have until the end of this month to get their financial house in order before the UCI pulls their UCI racing license. To protest the situation with what's going on with Team Astana, the team showed up on the starting line a few days ago with the sponsor's name blanked out on their jerseys. According to Johan Bruniel talking to reporters, quote, we don't want to pretend that everything is okay. It's not okay. The riders only received two months of salary in 2009. I hope the shirt change will provoke an effect. And it certainly did. Everybody noticed. And the entire event got a lot of coverage in the press, in blogs, on Twitter, online, everywhere. People were talking about it. And it looks like people finally understand what's going on with the team. Whether or not that will have any effect, well, we're just going to have to wait until the end of the month to find out. Meanwhile, in other professional cycling news, you'll recall that over the last few weeks we've been talking about Tom Bonin's positive test for cocaine use. Well, the organizers of the Tour de France have now decided that he will not be welcome at the 2009 running of the Tour de France. This is not the first time that Bonin's been barred from the Tour de France. He was also barred last year for a similar positive test for cocaine. According to tour organizers, they feel that Tom Bonin's presence would mar the image of the race. Moving away from professional cycling now, one of the UK's most popular long-distance amateur cycling events was brought to a halt last weekend when someone scattered thumbtacks all over the race course, causing punctures all throughout the peloton. There were about 3,700 riders participating in the Atop Caledonia, which is an 81-mile charity ride. And apparently, this is one of the only rides in the UK where the entire race course is closed. Well, apparently, residents and business owners don't like this, and that's why somebody went to a little bit of, well, a bit of a terrorist action against the cyclists. Of the 3,700 riders, it sounds like there were about 500 punctures as a result of the tax. Once the organizers found out what happened, they stopped the event and allowed the roads to be cleared, and then everyone finally was able to finish. According to a spokeswoman for the race organizers, quote, as far as we know, no one came off their bike because of a puncture, and there were no injuries, but it could have potentially been very much worse. That's going to do it for the news for tonight, but before we move on, I want to thank another one of our sponsors, and that is Audible. We've talked about Audible a lot here on the show. Audible has over 60,000 audiobooks and more. And if you go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling, make sure you go to that link, audiblepodcast.com slash cycling, you'll get a 14-day free trial of the Audible Listener Gold Program. You'll be able to download a free audiobook of your choice, and you'll be able to keep that audiobook whether you decide to stick with Audible past the 14 days or not. Your options on Audible are virtually limitless. You can get books on business, the classics, fiction, history, kids and young adults, mysteries and thrillers, romance, sci-fi and fantasy, self-development, and much, much more. So go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling right now and sign up for your free book. We want to thank Audible for their support 
of the Fredcast. I also want to remind you to sign up now for our Chasseur de Col 2009, our Coal Seekers Ride in the French Alps, September 5th through the 12th. We'll be doing the Col du Telegraph, Col de la Colombière, Col de la Forclaz, Col de la Madeleine, Col du Galibier, my favorite, and also the Alpe d'Huez. This is going to be a great trip. You're not going to want to miss it. We do still have a couple of slots left. Sign up today. It's September 5th through the 12th. You can get more info at www.thefredcast.com or by clicking the link in the show notes or in the enhanced podcast. That's our Chasseur de Col 2009, September 5th through the 12th. Join us. I can't wait to ride with you in the French Alps. Next up, this is our continuation, part two of our interview with Graham Street from Cyclo Club as he answers your questions about climbing. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, there's a lot more where this came from. When you sign up for Cyclo Club, go ahead and check it out. Go to www.thefredcast.com and click that link at the top of the page. If you like what you've heard and so far, you sound like you do. I think you'll get a lot out of Cyclo Club. Here's my part two of my interview with Graham Street answering your questions about climbing. You know, last week we had Graham Street on the show and he was talking to us about climbing and answering some of your questions that you submitted to me via Twitter. I'm really pleased to have Graham back a second time to answer more of your questions. Good afternoon, Graham. How are you? Good. Great to be back. Thanks for having me again. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. We got some great uh, response to what you did last week, so glad you could come back again and answer some more questions. Let's just get started. Uh, the first question we got from a listener was about climbing position. Actually, a couple of questions here. Uh, whether they should be uh, back on the saddle, whether they should be forward on the saddle, uh, when they should stand, uh, whether they should uh, train climbing in the saddle, out of the saddle. Could you address some of those issues? Okay. Um, first of all, climbing position is obviously all a subject of one, meaning that each individual has certain, you know, uh, body types or, you know, overall geometry that, that suits them better. You know, like, like a duck in water kind of climbing saddle, you know, uh, someone stuck in the saddle uh, is scenario one. Someone that, you know, quote-unquote dances on the pedals and is pointing the toes and hopping up and down out of the saddle is two. I think people like to kind of categorize themselves as one to the other. I try not to do that, again, much like the stuff I talked about last week with super spinning and overpowering to, to really work on your cadence. Same thing here. I think that you're going to find a strength for yourself. Let's just say it was I feel stronger in general in the saddle as I'm climbing. Uh, that doesn't mean you should not be practicing out of the saddle. In fact, what we have found many, many times with our tactics and techniques is training out of the saddle, even if you're not comfortable with it, when you get back into the saddle, you're a lot smoother, you're a lot stronger, and you're a lot more efficient. And we've proven really that the reason for that is we're teaching you how to point your toes, which is one of the secrets for improved climbing strength and efficiency for sure. But it's also working on some different muscular angles that a lot of people when they're stuck in the saddle can't get. You asked the question about, you know, should I shift forward in the saddle, should I shift back in the saddle? I think it's pretty much dictated on slope, to be honest with you. Typically, the steeper the slope, the more most people are going to shift forward in the saddle. Just like when they're trying to go faster in the flat, you'll see most people begin to shift forward. The reason for that is that they're naturally beginning to try to extract more energy, whether they're aware of it or not, from their core, which, as you know, is what I talk about 24-7, 365. So the more you build your core strength, the more you want to slide forward, the more power you're going to get. 
It's just that simple. Tell me about, you, you mentioned pointing your toes. T tell me a little bit about that. Well, I can't tell all my secrets about it, but I can tell <laughs> you that uh, for certain, it, you know, if, if, whether you're seated or standing, uh, most everyday cyclists tend to do what's called ankling, meaning that they tend to drop the heel as they hit the 5, 6, and 7 o'clock position of the pedal stroke. Now, ankling is a traditional way to pedal, and I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, saying that ankling is not of use, but the, if you watch the average everyday cyclist, especially when they hit the steep slopes and that ankle begins to drop, what you're going to begin to see is what I would call a choppy pedal stroke. And we've all felt that before, when you're chopping on the pedals instead of rotating the pedals through a perfect circle. So what we try to teach, what we work on with our fitness parameters is helping the individual learn how to point the toe, stabilize the foot, stabilize the knee, and really extract more energy from the gastroc, the hamstrings, and the glute muscles, because when you can do that, or what we would call the cottage, what we would call the cottage of wattage in our club, you begin to get that that glute power kicked in the gear. And and most cyclists, I'm sorry, they're they're typically front dominant, so they're really pushing and mashing with their quadricep muscles. They're not getting a lot of power from their hamstrings. They're not getting a lot of power from their glutes, which is unfortunate because those are the the most powerful muscles in the body, especially if you want to climb. Those are the muscles you need to train, and the best way to extract that is to have the right foot position. Uh, and a lot of us tend to really drop that ankle. So, again, back to climbing position. Uh, if you're in the wrong climbing position, to make sure it makes it tougher to extract the right amounts of energy. Most people will tend to prop themselves up, put their hands on the tops uh, or on the tops of the hoods, and slide back. And, again, I have no trouble with that. I think that practicing a variety of techniques is really the secret. Um, and, it again, it, it depends on slope. I think if you are in, in your mind geared to thinking that there's only one way to climb, then you're probably going to suffer in certain situations. So if you're a climber that does great on a 6% gradient for 20 minutes on end, sit, you know, sitting back in the saddle, and you never practice out of the saddle climbing, and you hit a, you know, a wall at 18% for 200 meters, uh, you're probably not going to do very well with that. And it's because you haven't practiced more of a bouncy, agility-like out-of-the-saddle explosions. And, again, we try to teach and practice that Makes every sense. day on the club. You know, one, one of the listeners even asked about whether they should stay in their aero bars when they're, when they're climbing, uh, you know, a short climb. What do you think about that? Old school. <laughs> a disaster. <laughs> uh, mostly because, I mean, it's not that it can't be done. I mean, a person say, hey, I do it all the time. Well, that's great. My, typically, the reason why it, it tends to be more of a problem for many is that when you get in those aero bars and you're climbing, just look at the chest cavity. The chest cavity begins to automatically close down. And, of course, if the chest cavity closes down, the airway begins to close down. If the airway begins to close down, your energy begins to go down. So for the average individual, you know, watching the old films with people climbing in the drops, uh, not a good idea. Again, if you look at the, 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 you know, the road bars of, you know, 50 years ago compared to what's available today with our hoods and everything else, total different story. So I could see why people would be climbing in the drops back then. But for the average individual, unless it's like a short, what I would call popper, maybe 50 meters or 100 meters, and you're already in full stride, sure, stay in the drops and just pop over it. But if you're climbing, climbing in the drops, no, disaster. Okay, makes sense. Now, Another question, and this was actually a question I had last year before I went to the Alps, and that's, should I gear my bike differently if I know that I'm going to be doing a ride or, or multiple days of riding in the mountains? Uh, the question is, is it better to use a compact crank, a triple, or just to change their rear cassette, and how do they figure all of that out? It, it depends on the course. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple personal examples and ones that I, I speak with about people every day. 
Um, I'll be headed over to the Death Ride in July. I just spoke with a guy yesterday. He's a member of, my, of Cycle Club. I'll be staying with him and a couple other members while I'm there. He's done the Death Ride before. So to answer your last question, how do I know? Well, the first thing you need, need to do is you need to do your recon. You need to do your research on the event, find other people that have done it, talk to them about their gearing, ask them blunt questions. What did you have on the bike? How did you favor? Did you wish you had something else? You have to do your due diligence there. That's step one. He told me that Grandma had a compact, which is what I have. I'm a big compact proponent. I always have been since they came out. Uh, in fact, I think it's probably the best upgrade the typical everyday cyclist can do to their bike, but that's another discussion. Um, I got a 26 on the back. I'm running SRAM Red, so I've got a 26 on the back, which for my local area is plenty. But when you're doing five mountain passes and nine hours on the bike, my tip to you is to always have what I call a fail-safe. So typically within reason, you want a gear or two extra on top of what you think you can handle just in case. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it, especially when you've got a long duration set of climbs in play. So I'll be switching to a 28 or 29 on the back uh, with the compact in the front. Now I could opt, you know, to go to a, you know, a triple, you know, absolutely. But when you do that with the same road bike you're riding, of course you want to both know. You know, you gotta you gotta buy a triple crank set if you don't already have one. You gotta change the derailleur. You gotta change the rear derailleur. All that stuff. And if I can avoid that, the compact is typically what I recommend. What about, and again, this sort of goes back to psychology a little bit. What about the cyclist who says, ooh, you know, if I put a compact on the front or a triple and, you know, I go to a 28 or 29, as you just said, on the rear, oh, I'm just going to feel like a wimp. Uh, you know what? <laughs> a wimp is all in your, you know, I think that in the eye of the beholder, I think at the end of the day, if you're climbing well and you're feeling strong for you, then who cares what you got on your bike? Seriously. I mean, uh, I went to, you know, I do Mount Washington every now and then, which is dubbed as the, the hardest single-day mountain climb in the world, and I would, I would, I've climbed all over the world, and I would have to agree with that. It's not very long. It's seven miles, but there's people that show up there not just with, you know, triples and compacts, but they'll show up there with, you know, a 22 on the front from a mountain bike here, you know? Uh, and they're not wimps at all. In fact, they're, they're flying up the thing. So the gearing itself is irrelevant. How you use the gears for any type of climbing is really what makes a difference. Does that make sense? It so does, and I, and I think it's good oh, advice good. because – I think it's great advice because people really – they get hung up on that. They get hung up, gee, everybody's – it happens in the gym. Uh-oh, everybody's watching me. I better lift more weight, right? And so I, I don't right. think people are watching you at all. That's all in your head. You know what? Let your riding speak for itself. If you're going by them fast enough, they won't even see what gears you're on. <laughs> Good point. Uh, one one last question today, and that is, uh, again, from a listener, how can I effectively use my power meter or my heart rate monitor to pace myself on climbs? You know, heart rate and power uh, are not my, my pure specialties. I understand them. I use them both. Uh, I'm, still a, I'm still a purist, so I still believe, uh, you know, you have what you need internally to practice to pace yourself. In fact, you know, well, let me get to that in a second. How do you pace yourself with a power meter heart rate monitor? For heart rate monitor, first of all, like in our, in our club, the first thing I would tell, uh, you know, one of my members is first, I want you to do spin class number five, which is zone four testing. So those of you that are listening, what you really need to find out is what your zone four threshold numbers are, which means when, you know, in layman's terms, when you're really pushing yourself before you pop, okay? And that number is, you know, what, let's just say for me, I think that number for me is like 174 beats per minute, okay? That's my zone four threshold number, meaning if I go too much higher than that, like 178, 180, I ain't going to hold on very long. If I'm below that, I'm probably going to hold on, you know, indefinitely with the right fueling strategy, but I'm not going to be climbing at my best. 
So once I find that number, it becomes basically derivatives of that number, 5% less, 5% more, and using that with chunks and techniques to basically raise that number over time. So that's going to help you do your pacing with a heart rate monitor, which, again, not a big fan of the heart rate monitor. It doesn't tell all. It really doesn't. It's old school. Uh, the power meter obviously really is a new foray into understanding how much energy you're actually putting out, regardless of what your cardiac system is telling you. I was talking power to somebody. Meter, I was talking, if you don't mind, I was talking to somebody about that recently. The way that I described it, and it just made sense to them instantly, was a heart rate monitor. Excuse me, a heart rate monitor is a lagging indicator. A power meter is a leading indicator. Absolutely. Yeah, with a power meter, uh, you can't fib. You can't lie, and neither can your body. It is what it is. If you're putting out 300 watts, you're putting out 300 watts regardless of what your heart says. With your heart, you know, if, you're, if you do the first hill in the first 10 minutes of the ride and your heart rate says, hey, I'm only at 164 and I'm feeling great, you know, you could be going, you know, 20, 30 miles down the road and climbing the same hill again, and it says 184, and you're going two miles per hour slower on the same hill. So you tell me, the heart's saying you're working harder, which you are, but you're not performing better. You're performing less. <laughs> so it, it, can be, it can be deceptive. It can be deceptive. And again, you're going to get arguments back and forth. But the bottom line is that regardless of what you use, whether it's your own internal system, which is what I still say is A, number one, should always be at the forefront of what you're doing. You're using a heart rate monitor, using a power meter. What you need to find is that threshold number. And again, we, we really try to push our members to understand that number. Even if they're a beginner or they don't, you know, well, Graham, we don't want to race or don't want to do that. I said, look, I understand. I don't care if you don't want to race. But if you want to improve, which is why most people come to us, then we need to get a comprehension of that area of uncomfortableness because that's going to help us dictate everything else. If I don't know what that number is or where that area is, Everything's just kind of, well, I kind of worked hard today, but I don't really know how hard. Or I worked super hard today, but I don't know if I improved. Or I was way low today. I wonder what that did for me. And that, that kind of clueless direction is what makes things kind of you know, complicated for me to help you improve. So the power meter, it's really simple. You find that zone for power threshold. Let's say it was 280 watts that you could sustain for, I don't know, 30 minutes or whatever it is, 20 minutes. There's a whole bunch of different tests that we can do. Find out what that number is, and then everything else you do is based off those derivatives. So if you want to go out and you want to do a moderate day, then you're probably going to be working, you know, on average with your normalized power at about 200 watts, 220 watts, well below that number. If you want to go out and do intervals to build your fitness, depending on the length of the interval, you could be at 300 watts, 320, 350, 400 watts. And those numbers are the derivatives you use to build that fitness. I think people make it too complicated, to be honest with you. I still say your body has what you need. You just got to learn how to listen to it. If you can do that, regardless of what you're using for a meter, uh, you're going to see significant improvements. Good tip. Use the body meter is what you're saying. Well, you know, again, you're going to get people that are going to argue. You know, coaches will argue with me to the high heaven. And they're coaches. So, yeah, of course they need empirical data because someone's paying them to see numbers. Okay, that's what you're paying for. With me, you know, my job is to get you strong and fit. If you want to use power meters and stuff, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of you doing that. But I always say the same thing. Don't rely on them. Rely on yourself. If you can create a connection to your body, to your mind and to your body, regardless of what those meters says, it's that relationship with yourself, that understanding that's going to make all the difference. Because I'll tell you what, at the death ride in July when I'm there and I'm on pass number five and I've been in the saddle for seven and a half hours, do you think it's really going to matter at all what my power meter says? <laughs> it's no, matter that it's going to come down to my, my relationship with myself, my understanding of myself, my ability to stay disciplined within my own ranges, 
Those are the important things. The power meters and the heart rate monitors just give you some boundaries to understand them better if you're more empirical. And I don't have, again, I don't have any problem with that. There we support. Go. There you go. Once again, some great advice from Graham Street. Graham, thanks so much uh, for coming on the Fredcast again. And for those of you that are listeners, if there's a topic you'd like to hear Graham address and the next time he's on the show, just shoot me an email. Uh, we'll be happy to make that the next topic, ask you all for your questions, and have Graham back on. Graham, thanks so much. Have a great day. David, I can't thank you enough. Over the last couple of weeks, as we've talked more about doping in the world of professional cycling, there's been a new website that has caught my attention uh, all over the place, whether it's on Twitter or on the web or lots of other places. The website is bikepure.org. Their tagline is promoting drug-free cycling, and I thought it would be interesting to talk to them to find out a little bit about their mission and what is they're doing. So here's my interview with Andy Lay from Bike Pure. We're talking today to Andy Lay. Andy is from Bike Pure. Welcome to the Fredcast, Andy. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, well, it's, it's good to have you. I found out about Bike Pure, well, really, as I do most things, uh, through Twitter, through the internet, and I've been following along with some of the things that you've been doing, but I wonder, just take a couple of minutes and let everybody know what it is that Bike Pure is and what it's all about. Well, we're basically a, a non-profit organization um, looking to improve the integrity of professional cycling. As, as we all know, there's been a lot of you know, bad publicity through, for, for the sport over the last few years as regards to the, the endless doping stories. And, you know, we just felt that we had to sort of do something about it as, as fans and as, as cyclists ourselves. We just felt the need that you know we, we we couldn't watch the sport sort of crumble in front of us, if you like, and uh, we felt we just had to set up something to give the riders, the fans, pro riders, teams, some sort of a voice, um, a voice that up until now the dopers had sort of had sort of drowned out. You know, there's a lot of publicity for the for the bad news. But we we wanted to promote the clean riders, and uh, that, that's basically what we're doing. You know. Now, when you say we, obviously you're not doing this alone. Um, tell me about how you got started and, and who's doing it with well, you. Well, yeah, um, by, by we were initially conceived uh, by Miles, Miles McCorry. We're both good friends. Um, we, we go back a long way. And uh, we both raced for many a year together. And um, we just found, uh, I suppose after the t 2007 Tour de France with the, the doping stories there, we, you know, we... It, it was a tough time for cycling, and we just thought, you know, we, we, we thought the sport would improve after the Vinukov, um scandals and stuff with the Tour de France. And then we sort of sat on it for a year, the idea. We had the idea of Bike Pure, sat on the idea for a year. And then, obviously, last year, we, we, we all know what happened. Everyone went into the Tour de France thinking, this is going to be a new, you know, the, the sport has changed, and hopefully we can see some new improvements but uh, we all know what happened, you know, with regards Rico and the positives there. And again, the sport came crashing down, full of bad headlines. And uh, that's when we set up Bike Pure. We just wanted to do something about it. Before and we, we sort of before... set up last October. We, we set up. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to interrupt you before you went into October and, and to sort of go back to the, the, the 2008 tour. Uh, there were a lot of people who felt that the fact that, that guys like Rico were caught um, because of the better testing procedures with uh, CERA and, and et cetera, a lot of people felt that perhaps it may have been actually one of the cleaner tours to France. What do you think about that? 
Um, yeah, I guess it is. I mean, there's a lot of work being done, and they, they are catching the 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 the, the, you know, the dopus. I mean, it, we know the last few days and the last few weeks has been again a, a few more positive tests, which you know the, the guys are being caught, which which is a good thing, which is which is a good thing. You know, we we definitely agree with that. Um, but we want to give the clean riders a voice. Um, we've big support in the US. Um, in fact, can I just run through a few lists of the, of the riders that have, have agreed to join our campaign? Yeah. Well, I, I would love that. Go right ahead. Yeah, we've uh, Dan Martin, uh, the Irish champion from Garmin, uh, young Cameron Meyer as well, who's in action at the minute in the Tour of Italy. There's three guys from Cervelo, Dan Fleeman, Dan Lloyd, uh, Ben Jack Mains, you, you probably know him well from over there in the US. Absolutely. Uh, with the Bissell team, he's... He's a, a big follower of us, and he's a big supporter of what we're doing. Young Nicholas Roach, uh, Ryan Berman from the Trek Livestrong team, who joined us recently there. Uh, Thomas Soliday from uh, Mountain Khaki. And there's another girl, Katie Compton. Uh, she joined us, the Cyclocross girl from the US. Now, we went to the Cyclocross Worlds there in Holland in January. And it was our sort of it was our first big event we'd been at, and we we managed to meet Katie. She was a big she's a big supporter of our campaign, and it was it was a big moment for us because we actually, you know, Katie came third. And she was the favourite for the women's race, and to see her stood on the podium, you know, as a as, as a rider of Bike Pure was a very a very proud moment for us. Yeah. And uh, actually, can I just uh, Katie actually hasn't got a sponsor this year. She's looking for a sponsor, and we thought if we could maybe. If anybody wanted to contact us through your site, yeah, anybody would, would be willing to help Katie out. You know, a rider of her caliber, you know, she shouldn't really be left without a sponsor for the yeah. forthcoming season. So maybe we could do something there. So let's, <clears> let's rewind <throat> back to, to October. So what happened in October? Yeah, well, we, me and Miles got together. We, just, we, just, we wondered what we could do uh, to help the sport. And we came up with the idea of Bike Pure. Um, again, we wanted to give the clean riders a voice. So we thought, what, what can we do? Some sort of a statement, some sort of a sign, you know, to make the riders stand out. We have the wristbands there, which are available on the website. Um, it's just a sign, you know. It's it's not a big, a big thing, but it just it just gives it's just a, a statement that a rider wants to make that they're that they're clean and they support our philosophy, you know, for the future. It's to protect the future of the sport too, because the sports had a very bad, there's a, a very rough ride, if you pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. Um, that's basically it, you know. Yeah. Now, why why wouldn't someone why why wouldn't a rider want to sign on with you? <laughs> that's the that's a question I often ask myself. Mm. Um, obviously, we can't force guys to join. You know, there are a lot of riders just like to do their own thing, uh, maybe not shout from the rooftops. But I can't. You know, personally, if I was a pro, I would want to get on board this campaign. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and 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 just be part of it. You don't have to. You don't have to. You know be too vocal on the subject but if a rider wants to join up then you know we've, we, we've no problem for that you know but I can't see why guys <laughs> wouldn't join us now know? by joining what, what statement are they making by joining I'm, I'm guessing you've got a mission statement and, and I don't know do they have something they need to sign uh, we have a we have what's called an, an honour code it's, it's not a contract but it's 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 a statement that we put out that the riders sign um, we've had a few problems with it I mean logistically it's difficult to get guys to sign when they're in you know you're in three or four continents across the world it's difficult to get guys to sign that but it's not a legally binding contract but just the guys wearing the wristband and we have a headset spacer as well um, just by guys that, that, that's as good a symbol for us you know it's it's not just a the mark of a clean rider but it's someone who wants to 
you know, protect the sport, protect our sport, and uh, hopefully help it, you know, help, help the image of the sport. Now, there have been a, a few other campaigns that I've heard of. There's uh, Ride Clean, I support yeah. drug-free sport, drug-free cycling. How does Bike Pure uh, differentiate itself, and how is it different from those, those other campaigns? Well, as I say, we, we, we like the riders to come to us. You know, we, we don't just concentrate on a certain aspect. You know, we, we're welcome to any, any rider, any team. It's for the fans as well. I mean, the fans play a big part in this. We have thousands of members who've joined up through the website for free. You know, just adding their name, is, is, it, it's a, it sends out a big message. And we have thousands of members already. Um, you know, it's, it's just, we're just a big voice. And we want, you know, there's no boundaries there with us. And like I say, the riders back us completely and we have a good few teams There's, we're very big in australia we've had so much feedback from the us australia south africa has been you know it's it, we're huge there and uh, it's it's almost taken us by surprise the whole the whole um just the interest in bike pure has just been un- unbelievable it's hard to keep up sometimes yeah. you know I've, i have a backlog of riders there to add to, to the website we, we basically add a rider uh, a bio page showing the riders results uh, links to their sponsors just put them in a positive light and we try and follow the riders that join us we we, we put news out on the site track them follow them their results etc and uh, upload photographs and stuff just put them give them a bit uh, you know good good pr for those guys you know it's just, just just do a lot of hard work for those guys you know now you mentioned the fans and just sort of everyday cyclists how do they get involved well, we urge cyclists of any discipline, uh, whether that be road, m- mountain biking, cyclocross, that they get behind us, join the campaign. You know, it's through their support that it, it strengthens the case for stiffer penalties as well. We're, we're looking for stiffer penalties for the dopers, you know, and it sends a message to the small number of doping riders that, you know, that we just don't want them in our sport. You know, we, we, we've all felt deceived as fans watching the, you know, watching these guys climb the mountains and then we, we find out that some of them test positive and... It's, you know, it, it takes a lot out of you. You know, we, we all love this sport. We all need guys to look up to, especially the young riders. You know, we appealed you know, any young guys, you know, young, young kids coming into the sport. Need, need, they need heroes. They need guys they can believe in and guys that, you know, that they want to see and look up to. You know, they want to aspire to these guys. And it, it's not good when, when their heroes test positive, you know. Mm. What, do you, what do you make of a situation like... A Tom Bonin, because in that situation, it seems to me not not a, a performance enhancing use of drugs, but instead maybe a, a as he said, he, he says he's got alcohol problems and I'm yeah, assuming drug yeah. problems as well. I think that, that that you'd put that in a different category, wouldn't you? I think you have to to a degree. Yeah, um, he clearly has personal problems, you know, and maybe it is hard being at the top of his sport and you have to perform, but he's a young guy as well, and it maybe it just goes to show that the, the, you know, the social problems that people have with drugs as well. Um, you know, it's, it always happens after the classic season. It seems to happen with Tom, you know. Yeah. Obviously, it, it's hard to say. I think you have to keep it separate, you know. It's, it's a social issue, and obviously he needs to seek help there, you know. But again, it doesn't, look, it doesn't, it doesn't put him in good light for, for any youngsters who are fans of his, you know. But uh, I'm sure I think he's seeking help through the through his team and stuff. Yeah, and it sounds like, it sounds like his team has been very sensitive, which is good. What, yeah, yeah. What, what about what do you say to people? First of all, I get a lot of people who say, "Stop talking about doping." You know, you talk about it too much. And yeah, I can't help it because I'm in the same category you are. I, I'm just yeah. tired of being deceived, and and I totally agree about you know, setting the right example for kids. 
But yeah. what do you say to those who would respond to you with, well, you know what? If they decide to ruin their bodies, if they decide to take the stuff, and if it makes the sport more exciting, let them do it. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we don't like, <laughs> it's funny, I had a discussion with Miles tonight. We, we don't like to do bike pure. I, I don't enjoy doing, I don't enjoy um, putting do- doping stories up on the sides. You know, it's hard to get a balance with, you know, the good news and the bad news. I don't like to have to report the, 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 the bad news. But unfortunately, the, due to the, the, the sport we're in, you have to, obviously, we have to report the news. That, that's, that's all part of the process. Uh, but it, it's hard getting a balance you know, between the two, if you understand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do. And and what about what about those who say, oh, you know, this Operation Puerto, you know, well, come on, that was years ago. Or the people who say, why are we retesting last year's Giro samples? What's in the past we should leave in the past? What do you think about that? Well, again, I think, Rod, is, you know, if, if, if you have been linked to some sort of, um, you know, Say operation Porter, for example, you know, it has to be, the guys will investigate it, and you have to. If there's a link there, then it has to be investigated. You know, I don't think riders should be getting away with with being involved in previous doping issues. Um, as regards Porto, I know Valverde there is he's banned from one country, and then he's not banned from another. And to me, I think the UCI need to make a complete. You know, they they need to take hold of the situation, and. Uh, it's not right a guy being banned in one country and not in another, you know. Mm-hmm. And and what about those who say, well, you know, until the technology of testing gets to the point where uh, we can be certain that we're not getting false positives, uh, that, you, you know, the whole thing is, is just you know, messed up, it's out of whack. What do you think? Yeah, well... Again, it's a tricky situation because you said about there about re, re, retesting of samples. Mm. But I mean, why wouldn't you want a sample retested? If if I was a pro, I had nothing to hide. You know, if you had nothing to hide, then why should you hide? Mm-hmm. It, it's as simple as that. You know, I mean, people talk about samples being tampered with, but there's a lot of science involved there. Um, you can't, you don't just tamper with a sample. There's a lot of, you know, when 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 a sample tests positive, there's a lot of scientific information that goes into you know from f- finding the drugs. But you know, if I if I, if I was a pro. You know, I'd say keep my samples. You know, keep them for ten years, keep them for twenty years. If you've nothing to hide, I don't see the problem there. You know, and, uh, cycling has has become a scapegoat to to a degree. It's probably it is probably the most tested sport in the world. Um, you know, the likes of soccer, you know, golf, whatever. Obviously, those sports don't come under the microscope as much as cycling, which which again is a shame. But we only have the guys, the dopers, to blame for that. You know, there's nobody else's fault. It's, a, it's, it's a, almost a victim of its own success to a degree, the testing. Yeah, it's know. a good point because, you know, we've had some scandals here in the U.S. with professional baseball, and yet it seems like cycling uh, is perceived by the general public as a tainted sport, but for some reason, baseball is not. And so you're right. I, yeah. think, that, I think we're a victim of our own success with testing. Where would you like to see Bike Pure go in the future? Well, we'd obviously, we'd like to get the message out to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And we, like I say, we're pushing for for length, the lengthier bands. Um, at the minute, I think the, the, you know the bands are like two, two years. But you know, the, the, obviously, over recent weeks, there's been a lot of positives. And obviously, the message isn't getting through to the right. We we, we want longer bands. It's only through people getting in touch with us, and we can put pressure on the UCI, WADA, etc. 
but we, we you know we'd like to just grow and grow and just get the message across that it's you know the fans don't really want this they don't want the the bad news they they want to look up to these heroes that they should really have to believe in and we we could see by people going over to other sports maybe eventually if we if we grow maybe go to other sports and maybe have drug problems but mostly we'd like to get the message to the youngsters you know maybe go to to, to high schools whatever um, and just teach kids from an early age that the the drugs in sport it just doesn't mix drugs and sport just don't go yeah and, and i'm guessing eventually you'd like you'd like it to become so successful that it's no longer necessary exactly and then we can just we can just uh close up shop and all go and do something else <laughs> nice in the, you know <laughs> in the meantime how do people find you and how do they how do they get in touch with you well they can visit our website which is bikepure.org um we also have a twitter page it's uh, at bikepure um, in fact, we just had some uh, good news this week. The guys at Black Bottoms, who I think produce your your cycling jerseys, they do indeed. Yeah, yeah, they're great guys. There, uh, we just we've almost just we're almost going into production with our own jersey. Um, with a lot of feedback from our members about that, that they wanted cycling gear that they could wear just to show that they support us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we got together with the guys at Black Bottoms, um, and they've put together a beautiful, cool-looking jersey. You may have seen it. It's on our website. Um, and in the next few days, it'll be available at a reduced cost, like a, a pre-order cost. Of, and people can, people can maybe place an order there. It just, it just shows their support. And they will, the guys at Black Bottoms will give us a, um, a percentage towards our... Because, I mean, we are non-profit. Obviously, we, we have to keep up costs of you know, wristbands, etc. Mm-hmm. And the, the jerseys, we've got, got a couple of sponsors uh, from Chain Reaction Cycles um, and, and Aspire Velotech. And also 3T, the handlebar stem manufacturers, they've actually produced, in the last week, they've produced a um, bike pure cap, which will go on the end of their handlebar stems. Now, hopefully it'll be used by the pro teams. And it's, it's just a sign, just a signal um, that they support our philosophy of uh, drug-free cycling and a better future for our sport. Uh, I think that'll be available on the 3T website soon. Cool. But like I say, you can get, people can visit our website, they can join there. Uh, just just add their name. It's free. It, it's it's not a problem. Um, the more people, the better, and it increases our our campaign and our voice for just for a better sport. You know. Well, I support what you're doing 100. percent I hope my listeners will as well. It's bikepure p u r e dot o r g. Andy Lay, thank you for being on the Fredcast, and thank you for no what you're doing for cycling. No problem. And thanks for a great Fredcast. It's oh. uh, we will we will look forward to, for forward to every week. It's brilliant what you do. I appreciate that. We'll talk soon. No Thanks, David. All, right. All the best. It's a great organization and something I hope that you will check out. That's bikepure.org or link in the show notes or in the enhanced podcast. By the time you listen to this podcast, by the way, it's probably May 20th. And I want to remind you that tonight is when you should participate in a ride of silence. Remember, the ride of silence is an opportunity to pay tribute to those who have been killed on their bicycles on roadways around the world. This is an event that takes place all over the world. Go to rideofsilence.org to find the event near you. It will be a night when you won't be concerned about your heart rate monitor or your power meter. It's a time of quiet reflection and a slow speed ride just to pay tribute in the memory of those who have been killed on the roads. Go to www.rideofsilence.org. Get involved today.
One last thing, a couple of days ago, Kristen Armstrong, the 2008 Olympic gold medalist and USA Cycling, announced the launch of the Kristen Armstrong Cycling Academy. This is a junior development summer camp for women between the ages of 15 and 18, and this is sponsored by USA Cycling. It'll be held in Boise, Idaho from July the 14th through the 19th and provide licensed riders with the additional opportunity to race alongside Kristen before a crowd of thousands at the 23rd annual Twilight Criterium in downtown Boise. Now, the camp was developed for women who have some race experience and are looking to improve their skills, and it'll offer an opportunity to discover what it means to be a professional cyclist. All riders have to have a valid 2009 USA Cycling annual license to participate. According to Kristen Armstrong, quote, in the United States, during the year you turn 19, you go from racing with your 15 to 18-year-old peers to racing with 19 to 35-year-old pros. It can be a shock. And if not prepared, young riders feel like they've been thrown to the wolves. U.S. cycling loses a lot of promising female riders in this process. My coaches and I want to have a hand in helping young women really advance through a more focused training program like the one that helped me realize my Olympic dream. My goal, and I think it's realistic, is to see a graduate of the Kristen Armstrong Cycling Academy bring home the gold for the United States Cycling. For more information, you can go to kristenarmstrongacademy.com. But if you're a young woman who wants to improve, who wants to go to a camp hosted by Olympic gold medalist Kristen Armstrong and the best coaches in women's cycling. Sign up now. There are links in the show notes and in the enhanced podcast. This sounds like a fantastic opportunity. Well, that's about going to wrap up this week's show. But before we go, I want to thank our sponsors, starting with Cyclo Club and Graham Street. For more information and to sign up, go to www.thefredcast.com. You're going to find that Cyclo Club link at the top of the page. Make sure you go there and click that link to let Graham know that you heard about Cyclo Club here on The Fredcast. If you like what Graham had to say in the interview today, you are going to love Cyclo Club. I also want to encourage you to sign up for our French Alps cycling trip. Go to thefredcast.com and click the travel link at the top of the page. Only a couple of spots left. Don't miss it. I also want to thank our friends at Audible for sponsoring the Fredcast. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling to download your free audiobook today. And finally, don't forget to donate to the show. Go to thefredcast.com and click the donate link. We couldn't do the Fredcast without these ads and without your donations. Don't forget you can contact the Fredcast anytime by going to our website at www.thefredcast.com. You can also send us an email. The email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. You can call the Fredcast listener hotline at area code 435-258-6373, or you can follow along on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash Fredcast. Of course, we are at Fredcast on Twitter. Go ahead and follow along anytime. And with that, it is time for our Podsafe Cycling Music. Tonight's music comes to us from the Podsafe Music Network at Music. Dot podshow.com. Tonight's music is by Fallout Boy. The name of the song is Dead on Arrival. This is one of my kids' favorite songs. Seems whenever I get in the car and they turn on the radio, somehow this always shows up. And when I saw it on the Podsafe Music Network, I thought this is good Podsafe cycling music. 
There are links in the show notes to where you can find Fall Out Boy on the Podsafe Music Network and also iTunes links so you can buy the song or buy the album. And I'd urge you to do that because it's always good to support those who support podcasting. I'll be back again next week with another episode of the Fredcast. I'll also be back this weekend with another episode of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. Make sure you go and check that out at www.the-spokesman.com or just search for The Spokesman on iTunes under podcasts. But between this show and the next, enjoy the music, but most of all, enjoy the ride.